we are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The story that I had to tell my American audience is very different from the stories that I had to tell to my Rwandan audience. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months. And my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe. This fantastic high desert. You watch the sky at night, so you just see the milk. Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from CEFQ, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through CEFQ's community support program. CEFQ, changing lives every day. CEFQ.com. World traveler and Spanish speaker Kim Anderson spent four years of her life teaching math and science in Paraguay in the 90s. When she returned stateside, she founded a language school in upstate New York, which has expanded to become the Capital Region Language Center and Empire State English. Anderson says that after being exposed to different cultures, she and her husband were inspired to create Mango Tree Imports, a boutique that offers fair trade goods from around the world. Capital Region Language Center started 15 years ago as Las Mariposas Spanish School. It was actually meant to be a stopgap measure. I left public school teaching for what was supposed to be maybe two or three years, just enough time to get the kids into kindergarten so that I could go back and teach full time and, and be fully focused on my job during the day and my family in the afternoon and evening. And one thing just led to another. I was initially the only Spanish teacher, and that's all we taught at Las Mariposas. And little by little, I saw a need in the capital region to offer an alternative to language learning. We added French and German, Chinese and Arabic, and it just blossomed from there. Sometimes I look back and wonder how different things would be had I returned to school to teach school. But with the name change to Capital Region Language Center and some of the additional outreach that we do in the communities and the schools, it's really become a, a, a full-service language school. Where did your teaching begin? My teaching actually started in Washington, D.C., which is where I attended college and I obtained my master's there. At the end of my time, at the end of my six years in Washington, I was hired out of my student teaching for one of the high schools that I was working in. And at that time, um, this was in the early 90s, I just, I love Washington, D.C., but I was ready to move on and have a different experience. So I left Washington for San Francisco. That's where I had my first official full-year teaching job. I was teaching in public middle school. I was a math and science teacher, but I taught in Spanish for the immigrant children, but then I also taught them the same content in English. And then from San Francisco, you went to Paraguay. I did. And what was that like? What? How did you end up in Paraguay? So Paraguay is an interesting story. I, I ended up meeting my husband when we were teaching together in San Francisco, and I knew that in order to really, I don't want to say perfect my Spanish because 
it's never going to be perfect, but in order to feel like I could be fluent in Spanish, I realized that I had to move abroad and I had to move to a Spanish-speaking country. One night we sat down and I said, you know, I really think I need to follow through with my Peace Corps application. I've been thinking about Peace Corps for years and if I stay here too long, I'll end up being tenured and get tied down and I won't be ready to move on. And he, I said, please, let's go to Peace Corps together. And he said, well, I just got out of Peace Corps. I, I can't just be a perpetual Peace Corps volunteer. Are... For the record, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I still think it's in my future. But we decided to compromise. And he said, well, let's move abroad together to a Spanish-speaking country. But let's work. Let's not do Peace Corps. And right is now. he fluent in Spanish? He's not. He learned a lot while we were in Paraguay because we ended up being there for four years. How did you go about getting a job in Paraguay? Because I don't think you can just walk out and be like, I'm here. <laughs> Give me a job. <laughs> it would be so easy if we could do that, right? <laughs> so we attended a very small job fair for international schools. Uh, we actually went to Texas to apply for the job. And it was like any job fair that we might have here locally except that it was for teaching jobs abroad. So they looked at our qualifications, and we looked at the map. And prior to leaving, we took out the huge National Geographic Atlas. And we looked at Latin America because we were, of course, going for the Spanish and um, sort of said, well, where do we want to go? And we looked at South America and pointed right to sort of center south to Paraguay and Bolivia and said, well, we know where we don't want to go. We don't want to go to a place that doesn't have a coast and doesn't have any mountains and doesn't have volcanoes and doesn't have hiking. And we ended up going to Paraguay. <laughs> when you got to Paraguay, what were you doing? We were both teaching at the American School of Asuncion. Chris is a science teacher, so he was teaching science in the middle school and I was teaching science and math at that time. We opted to live, there's not a campus per se, but... There's a neighborhood by the school where a lot of the expat teachers live. And we wanted to really have this immersive experience in the culture with the people and the language. So we lived a little bit further from school. We biked to school for the first two years, or we bust. And we lived in a neighborhood that was completely local. Our landlords happened to be Peruvian, but they had raised their family in Paraguay. Um, they had a little complex where they had three homes on a lot. They lived in one of the homes, mm -hmm. and we moved into to one of the other ones, and they really became like a second family to us. I can imagine that your husband and you had a little bit of a different experience in Paraguay because you speak Spanish and he does not. Did you guys ever talk about that? Yeah, it's a good question. So from a sort of cultural living abroad perspective, he had already lived in Botswana for two years as a Peace Corps volunteer, which coincidentally has to happens to be on the same latitude, but different continent. Um, so he was and is very comfortable with, you know, living abroad and navigating unknown places. He had traveled pretty extensively right after Peace Corps. So none of that was a shock language-wise. 
you know, I think whether it's Spanish or English, I tend to do the bulk of the talking. So I'm not sure that things are really that much different in Paraguay. I don't I don't know if we ever really discussed it. He has very good comprehension in Spanish because of that time abroad. You know, he certainly has some survival Spanish as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about just your experience in general as the power of language when you're abroad mm-hmm. and what that has either helped your experience or hindered your experience because maybe you've traveled to other countries that you're not fluent in the language. How do you feel that your language expertise has played a role in your travel? Inevitably, being fluent in the language of another country and of, of other people is it's just going to lead to closer relationships, you know, better communication and enrich the entire experience. And there are a few examples just circling back to Paraguay and those landlords that we really loved so much. Recently, my daughter, who's now a young adult, went to Paraguay to kind of reconnect with the country where she was born and to do a Spanish, an intensive Spanish program. And when she was there, I said, please go visit the landlords. You know, they're they're really, they're getting old and I would appreciate it so much if you could just bring this card to them and say hello to them. So she did. She went and visited them and I was um, in the kitchen one day and my WhatsApp popped up with a number that I didn't recognize and I answered it and it was our landlady from Paraguay because my daughter was there with her and she called and she said and she was crying and she said I can't believe your daughter is here Chris and I had our kids when we were in Paraguay so our landlords were really kind of like our kind of like their surrogate grandparents right there I mean they they went there through they were there through the whole pregnancy and the birth and the newborns and yeah. the toddlers. And so it was it was really wonderful to speak with my landlord. But um, she had had a stroke and she was having trouble regaining her speech. So as she was talking, she was very frustrated. She couldn't really complete her thoughts and her sentences. But I, I was able to complete those for her. And you could just tell that it, it was just a kind of a touching moment, I think, for both of us. I'm very, very bittersweet. Yeah. There are times where I think uh, that knowing another language when traveling, you know, leads to situations that would absolutely not happen otherwise. I think something that happens, though, with me, and you alluded to this, is that with traveling, I'm, I'm very spoiled because I'm fluent in Spanish and I've done a lot of traveling in Latin America. Um, I think I forget sometimes that I am not part of those cultures. Like I get there and I kind of can hit the ground running, whether it's with language or culture or music or whatever. I don't really think of it as odd that I'm able to fit in well. Right. More recently, we traveled to France and Morocco, two different trips, and I don't speak any French. I made made the terrible mistake of taking French in college with my best friend, second semester, senior year, 8 a.m., four days a week. And needless. That's not what your senior year is for. Yeah, well, I did not make it to many of those classes. (laughs) And I'm kind of paying for it now because um, I wish I could speak French. But being in France and not speaking French, a lot of people speak English, and that's fine. You know, we can always travel in English, especially in the major cities. But it's it was still very fun to 
be at a restaurant and try to order a glass of wine in, in French and have the waiter writing it out in French and me writing it out phonetically so that I could try to say it in a way that he might understand a piece of it. But it was certainly different to not be able to just carry on a conversation easily. Yeah. And I can imagine having been to Morocco, the difference it would be in trying to communicate in Arabic versus Spanish versus French. So definitely in France, in terms of reading, I can understand some headlines, but I just will not say that I speak any French because I have such a terrible accent that it would, it's just very, my French is very embarrassing. Um, and I really should take some classes. Prior to going to Morocco, I took a couple hours of Arabic just for the basics, like the greetings, the courtesies, the my name is, and can you help me? Yeah. Um, maybe I learned a couple of, I think I learned one through 10 mm -hmm. uh, the numbers and and that was about it so Morocco was certainly a different experience where you know that's in a way I felt like I was really a traveler because I I wasn't able to connect with everybody but I think the same general I don't know they're not rules or guidelines but the same thing applied because I could greet somebody, when I was in the Medina and Rabat, for example, in the morning, if a woman was walking toward me, I could say good morning. I noticed that she wouldn't say it to me first, but as soon as I said good morning, you know, a face would look up and a huge broad smile. And I just think that it's so powerful to be able to connect even just on the level of hello. Yeah, absolutely. You also own a company called Mango Tree Imports, which does fair trade imports with companies that are abroad. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So Mango Tree started about 12 years ago, and um, the goal was really to provide fairly traded goods and work towards poverty alleviation in the developing world through handcrafted products and also the the consumables like tea and chocolate and coffee that we carry. I think a lot of that decision was driven by the fact that Chris had lived abroad in the developing world, and then together we had lived abroad, and we had traveled extensively. And just to try to give back, um, in particular to Paraguay, we started Mango Tree. We started as a very small import company with just three different products from Paraguay that were very typical of the country that I don't think most of the world knows about, mainly because of that landlocked nature of Paraguay, yeah. lack of tourism, dictatorship through the late 80s. Mm -hmm. So initially it was really just to have these handcrafted goods and also have a way for our son and daughter to grow up kind of knowing about the place they were born without actually being there. So we went from um, having Paraguayan products and realizing, well, we couldn't have a retail store with just three types of products in it, and we just kind of went worldwide, fair trade. And that has really led to just some incredible trips, some really long-lasting relationships. Yeah. I know from my work on mission that a lot of people don't realize people who are poverty-stricken don't want you to throw money at them. They want to be able to establish their own sense of purpose and being and to be able to sell their products to you versus just having you come in 
and give them all of the money that you've raised in America. It's a huge thing for themselves and their community. I think it comes down to a question of a model that's sustainable. And while charity certainly has its place, the goal of fair trade and the, the goal of marketing the handicraft, the handcrafted products in the U.S. is to create this business relationship, you know, that is ongoing and sustainable. And I think people feel great when they can produce something, something beautiful that there's actually a market for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I maybe have forgotten to ask? Well, I think that as I was thinking about coming here today, I did think about that that Mark Twain quote that I think is so phenomenal that um, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. He goes on from there. But I, I definitely think that that is a, a huge piece of travel. And whenever you can encourage families to get their children into language programs at a young age, that's when they'll really see the difference in just the accent that the children will have and where they can take that, you know, when they become adults. And do you think the way that you've raised your kids with mango tree, having been born in Paraguay, do you think that that has pushed them to live abroad in their college years? So I think so. A lot of people think it's very strange that they both of the kids are abroad. Um, because your son is studying. Like, that's where he goes to school. It's not just a study abroad. He goes to school in Ireland. Right. So he just started his freshman year in Dublin, and he went to Dublin because they have a bachelor's in creative writing. Those are hard to find here in the U.S., actually. His plan is to complete his degree in Ireland, and our daughter is in Paris, and it's the same type of thing. She's enrolled in Paris for her full bachelor's. She just texted me earlier today to let me know that she's actually doing study abroad in Chile. Oh, nice. So even though she's doing her degree abroad in France, which sounds like study abroad already, she'll be spending her spring semester in, in Chile. Nice. Yeah. That'll be beautiful. I, she's very excited, and I really think her goal with going to Chile, she said that they have a certain program related to her degree, but I think she's really going there because um, she'll be the first one in the family to have that visa stamp in her passport. Nice. Um, but yeah, the kids have grown up, I think, a little bit differently because they've had, they've just had a lot of developing world travel. We went to Panama when they were, our son actually turned five in Panama and our daughter was six and a half. It was a three week long trip with no hotels reserved, no sense of how we were getting from one place to another. I mean, it's awesome because we all survived and, and I think <laughs> they're no worse for the wear. I think our parents might have thought we were sort of crazy. But yeah, I, it seems like the decisions we've made and how they've been raised have at least made them into risk takers in terms of willingness to travel and, and immerse themselves in new experiences and cultures. Which is important and we could all use a little bit more of, I think. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't disagree. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on Postcards from the Road. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. 
Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit WAMCpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story, email postcards at wamc.org.